Now, last week, we, uh, we did something a bit different. We don't often do this, but Anthony took four times during our service to stop and to make y'all actually pray in groups, right? So from like four to six people, uh, Jeff just rolled his eyes at it. It was great as a joke. But uh, so last week, you know, I was curious because when Anthony asked, hey, should we do this? Should we have people kind of group up with oftentimes people they don't know and have to pray and talk and actually like visit with your neighbor and things like that? Um, and I was curious, like just and be very open and vulnerable. The 9 a.m. did really good with this. How many people loved it? Like how many people really enjoyed that last week? Okay. There we go. <laughs> These guys. There it is. Uh, and then how many people, look, listen, a lot of people raised their hands last time. How many people were like, not my thing? Okay? Just be honest. Okay? And there's people here. Like, I know y'all love Jesus. It's okay. Um, and so here's the deal with that is I wanted you guys to see some of that because we did get a ton of feedback uh, about it last week that people really enjoyed it. Um, and we're like, hey, you should do that every single Sunday. And I'm like, man, you're about to kick out a third of our church, right? Uh, that we're just like terrified, you know? There was this couple who was actually visiting from the valley. I didn't realize that at first, but they were sitting in the back, scrolling on their phones and making their lunch plans from Yelp. And, uh, and so as they're walking out, I was like, hey, y'all should really try Tourist Home. And they said, what? I'm like, oh, it's a great lunch place. And I kind of just gave them like a hard time, and, and they were thankful. And so anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. You know, it's fine. You're just not a Christian. And... Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say any of that. None of that actually happened, um, except for the, actually, the, never mind. Here we go. I talked to him, but, like, I didn't give him a hard time. The, like Anthony said, the 11 gets loose, okay? We just, we've been up real, since really early. Okay, so we're not going to do that every week, but everything we talked about last week, I'm going to reiterate today. The, the, I, I just think, that, man, like, as a people, we have to pray. Like, like, we have to talk to the one that's behind this whole thing. And if we don't, I'd say this, like, I'd say if, if we don't talk to God, like, if that is truly, like, if we believe as Christians, okay, and let me take that liberty to say, okay, a lot of us here probably are, if we believe as Christians that the door has been opened, right, and on the other side of the door is the sovereign ruling king of the universe that created you, me, and know how life is best lived, and then we sit on this side, ignorant and not knowing every answer to everything, and we don't talk, it's just foolishness. Like, there, there's really no other way to shape it. We're just fools if we don't entreat and come to the Father. But it does say some things about what we might potentially actually believe, okay? And I don't mean just kind of this cognitive mental assent to belief, but I mean like this literal like functional, like a belief that actually moves you, a belief that is actionable, okay? Uh, I, I wonder if, if we believe the things we say we do. Like, if we, I wonder if we believe the things that we say we believe about God or that we say about ourselves. And, and I would say at times, I, I don't know if we do. Now, I want to share a story with you. When I, when I first got saved, I was uh, 18, and uh, me and a group of friends, we all kind of got saved around the same time. There was like seven or eight of us, and man, we were zealous. Like, we were getting after it. We were telling people. We were Bible studying. We were doing stuff, and we loved to pray, okay? And so what we do is we go over to Jeannie and Jesse Thomas's house, really dear friends, and we'd show up around 6 o'clock. We'd all make dinner, right, some kind of ghetto, like, quesadillas with craft, like, craft singles, you know, that type of stuff. And we'd eat dinner together, and then we would, uh, we would about 8 o'clock, we'd all go into a room, and then we would pray until 8 a.m. Like, that was the goal. Uh, we would just go, we're going 12 hours. We're going through the night as a crew, right? And some of your faces are like, well, that was dumb. Okay, so, <laughs> like... And I look back on that time, and, I, and we literally do this. And we wouldn't all make it through the night. Some would fall asleep. You'd wake back up. You'd try to start praying. The best is when you'd pray and fall asleep mid-prayer. Like, those were the really good ones where the Spirit really had to intercede, you know. Um, 
But man, I began to think through, like, what was it about that time that's all that different from now? Because I would say, like, if, if I think I love God more now than I did then, I, I think so. Like, I think I'm more committed to him now than I was then. I didn't really, but I didn't know anything. And I think therein lied, like, the gift is that, see, like, back then, I didn't see myself as, and hear me the language I'm using here, I didn't see myself as powerful, okay? What I mean is, I was ignorant and didn't know a lot, and so I could only do what was obvious, okay? And what was obvious is that the Bible was telling me to pray, and that our mentors were saying, you should pray unceasingly, and that prayer was good because this is who God is, right? And that he hears and that he answers, and that we, what I was learning to at the same time, is that we are in deep need of him, like deep consistent need. Like we are not self-sufficient nearly as much as we think we are. And so these things were easy beliefs for me, but then something's happened over the last 15 years and I got powerful. And here's how I got powerful is I learned Christianity. Okay. Like, like I learned how this thing kind of functions, right? Like I learned how to pray, when to pray, when to pray a little bit louder, but then softer for effect, right? I've learned, like I learned kind of the ways that we do church and in that, right, like, there's nothing wrong with, like, you live, you get in the faith, you do Christianity, you do church, all that stuff. That's not, not bad. But I think what happened to me is I kind of just, like, in the midst of that, got caught up in kind of the doing and missed the person behind it all, okay? See, what happened is, is I became, in a sense, powerful. Like, I, fe- I felt myself, like, capable and able to manage my faith myself. Right, to manage Christianity myself, to be able to present myself in such a way that you guys would all think, oh, you know, this guy's a great Christian, or vice versa, right? And I think in that, we find significant pushback against prayer. Because the reality of prayer is I do think it's this cosmic battle for power. Because if God has all the power and we're in need of it, then we'll pray. But if you think yourself fairly powerful and self-sufficient, then don't pray, right? And the reality is, is man, I, I don't know in the church today a lot of people who are like, prayer's my thing, man. Like, I, I love talking to God. Like, it's usually, generally, most conversations, and we have a lot of meetings with y'all, is like, prayer's like my weak link. It's the thing I struggle with the most. And I think what it comes back to is a, is a wrong belief about God and a wrong belief about self, this cosmic power struggle that says, I'm good as I am, I don't need to talk to you, okay? And I think we need to reorient that. And so that's really what today is. And so in order to hopefully get us there, um, I want to recap what Anthony uh, said last week just by reading the verses, because they're just, it's Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And so let me read this to you, uh, and then we'll keep moving on. He says this, for this reason, Paul, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. That the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, this, give, you, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might." Now, now listen, we believe that Paul wrote this letter to Ephesians, wrote out this prayer, prayed these things. But we even say even beyond that, the church would say, no, we believe that God ultimately breathed these words through Paul as he penned them in this letter to Ephesians, to the Ephesian church, right? So the idea would be God so foreknew that he wanted his guy, Paul, to pray this for the church in Ephesus. And why pray things that someone already has, right? 
So, so if the church in Ephesus was already wise, God didn't need to have Paul pray for wisdom. If, if the church was already enlightened, God didn't need to have the Paul church for, for Paul, Paul pray for the church to be enlightened. If, if the people of God in, in Ephesians, and gosh, man, in Ephesus, I am just the words. In Ephesus, right, if they understood the power of God that flowed through them for the sake of service and mission in Ephesus, then why would he have Paul pray? So what we get in this is this true triage of self that has to acknowledge that wisdom, that enlightenment, that power, that all these things are not things of us in and of ourselves, but are only found in Jesus. And so if this is true, right, so if there is this chasm, he is the possessor of wisdom, of enlightenment, of power. We are not any of that, then the conversation should exist consistently and frequently. Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, teach me. Lord, instruct me. Lord, bless them, instruct them, teach them, etc., 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 okay? And so what Paul does here in verses 20 through 23, these last four verses, he comes on the tail end of a prayer with a doxology. Now, if you're not familiar with what a doxology is, it's essentially like a praise of God. The most famous one comes in Matthew when they ask Jesus, hey, how should we pray? And Jesus says, maybe you guys don't know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, uh, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, right? Now, here's the thing is that's how I was taught it growing up. I, I grew up in the South, and so I was like the only guy on my baseball team that didn't come from a Christian family, so it's the only one who didn't know it. And so we prayed at the start of every game. And I remember the whole team would go get together and say, bow your heads. And then I'd look around and they and just kind of move my mouth so that they would think I knew what I was praying, and eventually get to the amen part. And I remember like learning this throughout my life, and then going eventually after I became a Christian, reading the Bible, and what's not in the Bible is the, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's a doxology. That was an addendum later, because every time I think on the tail end of prayer must come a praise of God, right? As we pray, that we have to remember that who we're praying to, because if you forget who you're praying to, it's all moot right? It's just words if they don't fall upon the ears of the sovereign ruler of the universe. It's just you talking to air. But if it falls on King Jesus, man, that changes things, right? So what Paul does is he introduces this doxology moment, I think, to tell the Ephesian church and to remind us, yes, we pray. Yes, we talk. But the power is not in the religious act of prayer. The power is in the one who hears them, right? The power is the one who answers them, and it has to be that for us. And I think this is where we get off track. We think prayer is just kind of this thing we do. No, no, no. It's actually this talking to this real, live person who can do stuff, right? And I think when we divorce ourselves into just a religious act, we miss that. And so this is an entreating for us to engage back in uh, to, to understanding kind of the dynamics, the relational dynamics of prayer, okay? Now, last thing I'm going to say by way of introduction Verses 20, 21, and 22 are going to give us three realities about God. And verses 23 will give us three realities about the church. And they both follow the same rubric, the same three things, okay? They'll, they'll follow the power, like where the power resides, right? The position of where it's found, and then the purpose with which it's enacted, okay? And that's the same thing, both for God and for us. And so we'll learn three things about God in that rubric and three things about us in that rubric. And I'm hoping at the end that we say, yeah, gosh, of course we're going to talk to God now, okay? That, that's my hope. And so verse 20, let's read. 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. The first reality, where does the power come from Jesus? Now, this first reality is that Christ was raised from the dead by the power of his Father in heaven. Now, I don't want to jump on this too much because in Easter Sunday, we'll probably talk a little bit about resurrection. And so, uh, but here's the reality. This guy was dead, and then he wasn't anymore, okay? Now, now this, like, get in the church, and it's like, oh, yeah, he resurrected. Like, the dude rose from the dead, okay? Like, and it's, it's like, it's brushed off by us in the church, like, oh, yeah, no, he rose from the, he rose from the dead. Like, the guy was dead, and then he wasn't dead anymore. Like, that should never cease to baffle us that someone could do that. And how did it happen? happened by the power of the Father, right? So it wasn't Jesus being dead, right? Didn't like just pull himself up by his bootstraps and say, no, I'm going to come back to life. No, it was the empowering of God the Father that comes in and raises Christ from the dead, okay? That's the power. Now, the second one is the, is the position. Now, where was he then brought into and placed? It says that he was then moved from raised from the dead and then placed at the right hand of the Father. His position in regards to God was right here. Now, if you look at ancient antiquity, if you study ancient culture, to be at the right hand of any leader, anyone with authority, meant that you were given every status, every authority that the one that actually had the power had. That makes sense? And so God the Father, as he appoints Christ to his right hand, is saying all authority, all status, all power, all everything is now Jesus's, right? Like he rules in that realm. That's his position now, is absolute ruler over everything. Now you get into culture today, and I think, and this isn't going to be news, it's going to be shocking to you, right? But, but more and more and more you hear like, oh, Jesus was a really good guy, Okay? Like, he was this really good teacher, this really good uh, uh, moral teacher, right? He did great things. He loved people well. We can learn things from him. And they kind of take him and say, no, he's not this, like, supreme ruler who rules at the right hand of God, but rather he's just this really good rabbi. There's another church in town, and I won't mention them because we love them, right? But uh, one of their, like, key leaders, this is what they teach. Like, yeah, he's this good guy. Like, no, he can't just be a good guy. At least he can't be a good guy and us want to follow what he teaches. Because what you do when you take away the authority and you take away the power of Jesus, then you can begin to then question everything he said. Because if he himself does not have power and authority, neither do his words. They're just mere recommendations for good life. So when he says, love your enemy, no thank you, right? You can keep that one, right? When he says, daily pick up your cross and follow me, you can say, eh, no thanks, I'm good. I'm going to keep, and I'm going to hoard, and I want all this stuff for me, okay? When he teaches things about himself, about his character and his life, we can pick and then choose what he is. But if he is the sovereign, ruling king of the universe that Scripture claims him to be, you can't do that. And so it makes a ton of sense why the culture wants to take away the divinity and the authority of Christ because they can then take away the authority of everything he said. And that is a much easier, what's up, girl? No, you're good. Hang out. <laughs> so sweet. Um, you want to come preach? Come here. <laughs> so, right. So we can then just say like, uh, no thanks. And man, I I think that's what, like, at some points in life, we all kind of want. Like, we're like, ah, oh, God, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. I know you're asking this, and I I know thank you, and and all that kind of stuff. 
it becomes much easier and palatable to try and serve a Jesus that you can craft in your own image. Okay? But you can't do that if what the Bible says about Jesus is true. That he's seated at the right hand, that his position is as authority and ruler over this world. Now, uh, the last part we need to, we need to look at is in 21 and 22, now his purpose. So what, now Jesus ruling in that place, what does he do? Who does he rule? It says this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And so what does he do from that position, right? It says that he rules everything and everyone, everywhere, for all time, okay? That, that, that's what this is claiming, is that, listen, everything and everyone, everywhere, for all time, must and is submitted unto the rule of Jesus. He is sovereign, he is king. Whether or not it accepts it, realizes it, believes it, or even obeys it, that's the reality of this world, that King Jesus serves and rules this world, okay? So let's break these down. Everything. Now, um, there are lots of things that I think in our world today that are seeking to supplant the rule of God amongst the things we would say as everything, right? And one of the biggest ones is technology. So your cell phone or the stuff you purchase that kind of sucks you in day in and day out. I was recently at uh, Oregano's picking up some uh, takeout. And I look over these two tables and I see this very often. Um, there's this one table, four people, family of four, husband, wife, two kids, and they're all doing this, right? Not engaging, so I thought, let's, let's think the best of them. Maybe they're playing HQ, a little trivia action or something. Uh, they weren't, okay? They're all on different things. So I was like, oh, that's, that's unfortunate. But then I look over the next table. It's just one table. I look over the next table. This time it's a table of five, okay? Only one thing different was this one that had four family, or five, five family members, four of them on their phone doing this, and probably a seven- to eight-year-old girl sitting there by herself just quietly. Okay? And you just begin to like see this stuff. And this is not probably surprising to you. You all get sucked into kind of like, man, I just like scrolled through videos on Facebook for like three hours, right? Stuff that I never thought I'd care about and I don't ultimately care about, I end up watching anyway. How do we get to this point where all of a sudden like this thing all of a sudden becomes more important than the person that you showed up here with today? Like their opinion, their thoughts, their feelings, their hopes, their dreams, their prayer requests. Their need to know more about the goodness and love of God. Their need for a hug. Their need for an embrace. Their need for hope. Their need for insert your thing. And that's, and that's not just like the people you know. Then you're supposed to even go beyond that, Christian. Right? And yet this thing just wins our day. Okay? All the time. Okay? The second thing, uh, let's, and, and hear me, please, uh, is, is politics. Now, last year, <laughs> Anthony and I, man, we had like the worst year of our lives. Have an answer. All your emails and all the random, like, well, we hate this person, and I can't believe you said this, and did you know this person thinks that, and I hate you, okay? So um, not, not any of you. I meant, like, just the, the political thing. Now, be political, be engaged, learn, debate, get it, you know, like, learn your stuff, contact centers, do whatever you want to do. But the moment that it all of a sudden supplants Jesus as your Lord, that's a problem, okay? And I see it all the time. That your hope, right, your hope is based in politics, okay, and not in Christ. Now, let's not be foolish and say politics don't affect life. They hugely affect life, and you have to care. You have to engage. Because you will drive yourself crazy and me, okay, <laughs> if politics is your king. 
if it's your functional savior, it's going to mess with you, okay? Because it's going to let you down. Because your guy or gal can't win every time, okay? And your guy or gal isn't Jesus, and so they're going to make mistakes, a lot of them, okay? So they cannot supplant Christ as king, and yet we allow it all the time, okay? Um, other ones, right, I think uh, money and economy. Another one is not as obvious is, is values, right, which is interesting. And here's what I mean by that is a lot of times I think what we do is we take a value, which is a Christ-centered, gospel-centered value, and then we uplift it, but we forget about the one who gave us the value. And here's what I mean is that you fight for a biblical and God-given directive and justice issue, whatever it may be, but you do so in a way that is antichrist, Right? You do so in a way that is unbiblical, that has nothing to do with the ethics of Christ, which says, I lay my life down. I live in grace, mercy, hope, peace, gentleness, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. You check that at the door to contend for a value, right? And what that is, that's, that's the value becoming your king. If you leave behind the king to fight for one of his values, then you've supplanted him, okay? And this is always happening, Right? And so the Bible, that's why the Bible over and over, and Paul gives these doxology moments to say, don't forget who Jesus is. Like, don't forget who you worship, because it's easy to forget. I forget functionally every single day. And so Paul's coming in like, remember, remember what you believe about Jesus. He's the king. You don't need to be in anxiety. You don't need to be anxious or fearful. You don't need to be hopeless, right? Because he's the king. He's not going anywhere, and he's good. Okay? Now, that's everything. Everyone, right? Uh, and there are all sorts of people right, that are trying to top Christ, right, trying to vie for, your, for authority in your life, right, but the reality is, right, no one trumps, no, no one trumps Jesus, uh, see what I did, no one trumps Christ, okay, even Trump, okay, uh, even your favorite celebrity, even your favorite mentor, <laughs> even the favorite person in your life that you think they're the bee's knees, right, they just do everything right, they're not Christ, even your pastor, okay? Now hear me, like the, the church is littered and has a history of people like me standing up here saying, you need to listen to everything I say. And please, if you ever hear that from this pulpit, just walk out the door. Then email me later so we can hang out so I can apologize, okay? But that's happened here. Like, I mean, from this stage, I'm sure, from the like, pulpits is what I mean, is we've said, like, no, believe me. Listen to me. Follow me. No, no, no. Follow Jesus. And if I say something that Jesus doesn't say or that would disagree with the Bible, you better let me know. Because constantly in this world, man, people are trying to supplant God to be the authoritative voice in your life. And you need to know that. And you need to be reminded of that. Like, listen, what do you believe about Jesus? That's the whole point. Just, just remember God. Remember God. It gets annoying. And I know we even say here all the time, remember the gospel. Keep coming back. Because we just forget. Okay. So everything and everyone, everywhere. He's the king over the whole earth. Okay? Like the whole earth. Now listen, he's not more king and more of a ruler in the south where more people go to church. Right? than he is in Flagstaff, where a lot less people go to church. Like, he's just as much king there as he is here, okay? He's not more, he didn't, listen, he didn't become more ruler and more king in South Korea in the middle of the 20th century when they had that explosion of Christianity. It's not like he was, like, sitting dormant as kind of like this, this senator, so then he's like, now I'm king. No, he's always king everywhere. 
one of my things, and hear me, I, I get like the sentiment behind it. I really, really do, believe me. But the idea that like we kicked God out of schools, that's just foolish, y'all. We can't do that, okay? God is just as present at Flagstaff High School right now as he was 10 years ago. He didn't go nowhere, okay? Like, he is engaged, he is involved, and he loves the students, the faculty, and this grounds far more than we do. You can't supplant him. You can't move him. You can't shape him. He's God. And so we have to see that. And here's why I bring that point up. Because I don't think our country is trending more Christian, right? Like, I don't think, it doesn't seem like we're headed that direction. Outside of an absolute movement and revival of God, which we pray for, like, the country seems to be going, no, no, like, more pluralistic, right? More, more anti-Christianity, okay? And that, that's not news to y'all. And so, miss that, we need to not lose our cool. We need to be faithful and engaged and present and not lose our minds and get hopeless and anxious over things that, listen, he's not going anywhere. He's always the king everywhere and last one all the time. He's been that way since the beginning. It's that way right now. And it's going to be that way until he returns. Like he's just the ruler over the world. That's who he is. That is his identity. Please remember, don't forget. Okay. And that's what Paul is moving the Ephesian church to believe. Because what's going on in the church in Ephesians during this time is a lot of people got, became Christians. They got saved. Like, this sounds really good. But then there were a lot of other gods, a lot of other temples, a lot of other rituals, a lot of other ideals and values within Ephesus because it was kind of this marketplace city where all sorts of religions and backgrounds and ethnicities all kind of descended upon this one town. And so what you had is people were like, no, I believe in Jesus, like he's my guy. And then all of a sudden Artemis looks really good too. And so they were melding together religion. And so Paul's right and saying like, don't forget who Jesus is. He's not just another God. He's not just a good guy. He is the sovereign ruler over everything, everyone, everywhere, and all time. Okay. Now, that's who he is. Now, let's learn who we are. Okay. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things, which we already said, but ready, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So three amazing realities about the church, power, uh, position, and purpose. Where does our power lie, right? Where does this, if the church has any type of power or authority, where does that come from? Is it because uh, you guys are really good people and we do a lot of service projects? No, right? Like, like is it because we're a generous church, right, that raised almost $10,000 to give in our Advent offering to organizations we don't even really know? Well, some we know super well, some know less. Like, people, in other words, you don't even know at all. Like, is it because we're generous that makes us have power and authority? No. It has nothing to do with us. And what we do has everything to do with the fact that Jesus has been given to the church that he is our head, he is our leader. We, we've been saying something since literally the beginning of this church plant five and a half years ago. And, and it sounds somewhat cheesy, but we say it anyway, and we teach it every Roots class, that the lead pastor of our church is Jesus, right? That, that he dictates and he runs this whole show, okay? In other words, that, that if he thinks something or we see him clearly teach something, we cannot do the opposite of that. That if he wouldn't agree or do what we would want to do, then we won't do it. He has to be the lead pastor of the church, and he is functionally. 
He is logistically. He is legally. He is in every possible way. Just sometimes we don't allow him to be because we kind of want to do our own things or what we say, build our own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. Okay? So he is the lead pastor of this church. The second one is then, okay, what does that mean if Christ is our head? What is the position that we've been given? And we see it in the second part there, or sorry, in verse 23, it says, the church, which is his body. So where has the church now been appointed? What is our position? It's as the body of Christ. Now, the language there is union language. It's the same language that we get all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 when it talks about one flesh, right? Husband and wife becoming one flesh, two separate things becoming one thing. It's the same language that we would be united with Jesus, that we are his body. That means that as then the world looks to the church, they should see Jesus. I think they should see his mind. In other words, I think we're supposed to think the way Jesus thinks, okay? And meditate and learn. How, what would, how would you think? Let's, let's think that way, okay? I think we're supposed to be his heart to the world. I think we're supposed to feel the way Christ feels about the world, right? That we should engage with the world and we should feel and experience the emotion that Christ feels for the world. So we think about scenes of like Christ looking over Jerusalem before he enters into the city and weeps for Jerusalem and says, man, if you just would have known the day of your visitation, in other words, if you just would have known that I came to save you and you wouldn't have rejected me and thrown me away, that we would look to the broken cities and the broken lives and people, even our own situations and say, man, no, let me weep for that because I long for so much more. Instead of, we don't even get into that, it'd be too long. We have the heart of God. Thirdly, I, I, not just not listen, not just the mind, not just heart, but that we'd be the hands and feet of Jesus. You've probably heard this terminology. You've been in church for a while. That we would act like Jesus. So we'd think like Him, we'd feel like Him, and then we'd act like Him. We'd go and we would serve. But then the last one, which people don't like quite as much, that we would be His body, and that we would sacrifice like Him. Okay? That if we are the embodiment of Jesus now, that means, again, we think like him, we feel like him, we act like him, and we die like him. If we are truly his body, that we, we, we lay it down the way he has. The last one, that's his position. Lastly, our purpose in the midst of it all. Okay? Um, 23b says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, okay, who is his body, the fullness of Christ, who fills all in all. In other words, who is the representation of Jesus to everything and everyone, everywhere for all time. I want you guys to, this is where the gospel has to come in for us, right? And I want us to go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and two. You're familiar with your story, right? That in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. See, what happened when he creates Adam? What does he do? He raises Adam from the ground, right? That Adam didn't exist. He raises Adam from the ground and then grants him what? Dominion and authority over all of creation, right? You have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That, that man, in the beginning, was given this authority to cultivate and to cherish and to care for God's creation and everyone in it. But then Genesis 3 hits. And sin enters the world through the disobedience of man. And from that point until Christ, man had tried to maintain its authority without being raised functionally. Until what we had is the perfect man 
who lived the perfect life, was then again raised from the dead, okay? Raised and then given all authority by being placed at the right hand of the Father. And then, then the church now being united with that king has now been raised up. Now remember, as a Christian, like if you're a Christian, you were once dead in your sin and trespasses, but then God what raised you to life and how has granted authority for the church to go and to serve and to be Jesus to everyone and everything, everywhere, for all time. Now, this language would, I think, and I've ta- like, can terrify non-Christians. And, 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 and here's why. Because the church has mishandled this authority a lot, okay? And what we've done is we've taken the authority given unto the church to be Christ to the world... And we've placed a kind of like cultural lens, a worldly lens of power over that. And we've lorded authority instead of being Christ and and living in authority the way he's lived in it. And let's think through the authority of Christ. Christ, the authority over the whole world, the king from day one till eternity, right? Before day one up until eternity, okay? What did he do with his authority? He laid it down. Christ, who did not think that equality with God was something to be ascertained, laid his life down, humbled himself even unto the cross. The church, listen, like you have been given, I have been given, we have been empowered, church, to be authority, to, and, and, like, to care and to cultivate and to shepherd and to invest and to love, but we have to do it the way Christ did it, which is we lay down our lives, we lay down our finances. That doesn't mean you can't have any. I always got to say that because people get upset, right? You got to lay down your finances, lay down your stuff, lay down your status, lay down your identity, and, and, and be raised up in Christ and live that way and serve that way and bless that way and pursue justice that way. And so that's what the church has been called to. Now, if that's all true, I'm going to wrap it up now, okay? If this is true, if the church has been called now to live like Christ, to act like Christ, to think like Christ, to feel like Christ, to go into the world, to be Christ to everyone, in the way Christ was to everyone. And in and of ourselves, we knew we were dead. We were kind of foolish. Right? If that's the reality here, and then we have on this other side this beautiful, omnipotent, perfect God who has already done this perfectly, who desires and tells us that he desires to transform us, renew our minds, make us more like Jesus. It is absolute foolishness for this to not be dialogue. For this have to be silent and not entreat and bug God all the time. Please teach us. Please shape us. Please help us. Please let us be what you need us to be for the sake of the world. So as we, as, you know, as we move into this time of reflection, I just want to say this. Like, I, I don't know everyone's story here. I don't know your background. I don't know what brought you to church today. I don't know if you'll ever come back or if you're visiting or whatever the deal is. The most important thing we can do in this moment is just not miss Jesus, okay? Like, it's just just too easy within kind of the getting stuff done to just leave him behind. 
And so what I want you guys to do in this reflection time, and then Anthony will come up and leave us some time response and all that, is I want you to, I want you to think on, is Jesus really who he says he is? Or is Jesus really who the Bible says he is? And do you believe that, right? Like, do you truly believe that? Do you truly believe that he is the sovereign, reigning, living ruler of your life? That everything you have, he oversees, he rules, he has, he has an opinion on? Like, do you really believe that? Because if so, man, like that, that is a different type of Christianity than is often kind of just presented within contemporary Western America. Like it's a lordship type of Christianity. He rules my life. What he says goes. If he says it, I do it. Like that, that's the type of Christianity that the Bible calls us to. Now it says in the midst of our failures and our faults in that, praise God he came because there's forgiveness over and mercy over and over and over again in our failure. But what do you believe about Jesus? Is he Lord? And if he is... I want you guys to talk to him. Talk to this guy that can change absolutely everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you've given us your spirit. Spirit, you're with us now to remind us of these truths. And, um got to thank you for the faithful preaching of, uh, of your word done by countless men and women around the world, God, to constantly remind us of who you are. It's a fascinating reality to me, God, that 2,000 years after you're gone, that, um, man, that this faith, that your kingdom and your people are alive and well. God, it's only by your grace because we've done a handful of things and we continue to do a handful of things, God, that would seem to be our ending. Lord, thank you that you love this world and you desire its redemption, its restoration. God, you love your church. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for us, Lord, that you would enlighten us and grant us wisdom. Grant us vision to see the power uh, that resides in the fact, Christ, that you have joined yourself with your bride. God, that we are one with you. And we're in Christ and the Holy Spirit. God, you live inside us, God, to cultivate and to shape us. Thank you, God, that we are a risen people. God, risen unto authority, but an authority, God, that you have crafted and shown before. And so, Lord, give us the resolution and the faith and the provision necessary, God, to wield that authority the way you have that we would present an accurate representation of Jesus to the world. One that reflects you in the way that you think and the way you feel and the way that you act, God, and the way that you lay it down. God, we're very thankful. We're very thankful this morning. And so, Lord, would you turn that thanksgiving into transformation and obedience and service unto you. God bless us, Lord, as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.